Welcome into Buff Stampede Radio. We've got a special podcast for you today. We got the band back together. My name is Adam Munster Tiger. We have fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin, Ryan Konigsberg, and William Whalen, a familiar voice, is back oh, yeah. in the building. Oh, yeah. You, love, you, doing, you love having my voice in the locker room. I know that for sure. <laughs> well, if you guys want to hear about CU's camp, get a recap on that, and then hear our predictions. We're going to go on the record about this upcoming 2014 season. This is going to be a show you're really going to enjoy. We got a lot of stuff. Coming for you. First off, we're going to talk about that preseason camp, which now the the practices are closed. Then we're going to get into player prediction time. We're going to talk about basically every position at some point throughout that segment. Then we're going to go on. Uh, we're going to talk about Pac-12 predictions, college football predictions in general, and finish with our CU win predictions. And Will's going to be with us here for about the first half an hour, so we'll actually get his win prediction for CU before he takes off. And then you'll have to wait till the end of the show to find out uh, what the rest of us think in terms of uh, the number of wins that Mike McIntyre will get in year number two at the helm. We're going to start out with preseason camp. First off, guys, let's talk about the surprises, uh, both positively and negatively. Uh, kind of more big picture here versus a, a particular player. I, I guess if you want to go down the route of a particular player, you can. But let's start out with you, Tyler, just in general. You made it out to some preseason practices. What particularly stood out to you or surprised you, I should say? Yeah, I mean, I, I made it to six this year, so I feel like I got a decent take on how camp's been run this year. I think the one the one positive surprise for me was definitely the physical readiness of the freshmen. Um, I don't know necessarily how many of them are going to play on this team, but you look at guys like um, Evan White and even Jason Sanchez, who I don't you know I don't expect him to play, but just from a physical standpoint, very impressive kid. Somebody you see down the line who could be you know ready to go, and he looks like he's a football player today. And then you look at the two defensive ends that we've heard a lot about in camp as well, Michael Matthews, Christian Shaver, kind of instant impact off the edge guys. We haven't had that in some of the previous classes. So from a positive impact, I think we'll start there. I think that's the main thing for me. Right. Um, positively, I, I want to say the uh, the offensive line. Um, I think it was more of a concern uh, going into camp than uh, I'm leaving camp with uh, on my mind. I think um, the addition of Shane Callahan is nice, um, whether that's going to be from a starting role or from a depth role. Um, and I think uh, Jeremy Irwin has looked really good over there uh, protecting Sefo's backside. So... Um, just, just the offensive line in general um, has uh, impressed me and surprised me. And I also want to say, Adam, thanks for being with us. I didn't know. I thought you might be too big for us now that you have your own uh, radio show on Real Radio. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the things, and I, I don't want to get too out of hand here, but I think a surprise for me or, or a positive impact for me was just kind of confirming what we thought we might see out of the wide receiving group. Uh, I think that we knew that this could be a deep group. Uh, but I, I don't think any of us really knew how they would come together as a whole without Paul Richardson, without that kind of stalwart talent that they've had. I mean, you look at the string of number one wide receivers at CU over the last seven years, and the, the number one position hasn't always been terrible. I mean, you've had guys like Marcus Seamus, Tony Clemens, of course, Paul Richardson, and more that have really been impact guys at Colorado. And this year was really the first that nobody really knew what it was going to look like. Uh, was Nelson Spruce going to step up into the Scotty McKnight role, or is he just kind of going to be a steady but unspectacular guy? And I think he's taken the next step and, and really brought guys along. I think you see more consistency and sharpness out of D.D. Goodson, Shea Fields, a freshman coming in and looking the part and playing the part so far. Uh, and then you throw the progression of guys like Devin Ross, Bryce Bobo into the equation. And I think you have a group that as a whole – could be the most versatile that we've seen at Colorado in a couple years. 
what what impressed me the most was just walking out there and seeing a team that looks a little bit bigger physically. And when Mike McIntyre took over with Dave Foreman, they talked about having an 18-month plan to kind of reshape the roster. I didn't really see it quite in 18 months in spring. It, it wasn't until kind of 20 months, uh, I, I think we're into it, going into camp, that it seemed like you'd really seen that. And just you know, talking with Dave Foreman and knowing that it was built up the right way, that you to go from one tier to the next in terms of his program, you had to do everything the way he wanted it done in terms of technique and building a foundation. And I think you could finally kind of see that with his football team. They still have a ways to go. It's still not – I mean, if you were to go out to every Pac-12 practice, they're still not going to be the most physically imposing. But I would say just in general, over the last couple of years, it looks more like a Pac-12 football team. Yeah, when I have you know friends or students come up to me and say, how's camp looking? How's the team looking? All I, my answer is always, well, they look like a football team. And that's the first time you could say that in maybe a little while. Yeah, I, the same question for me. I've just said bigger. I mean, you know, for the first time in a while, you have guys that you stand next to on a football field and you say okay like this is a football player we haven't had too many of those in the past couple years and just like a side note obviously before the Jared Bill injury I would have included the depth of the secondary they especially at the cornerback position have three or four guys that really can play in the secondary and that was nice to see because that's obviously been you know that hasn't always been the case over the course of the last few years and just one thing to close out my point uh, I remember a couple years ago you look at the offensive line group Stefan Nembot would stand out Mm -hmm. you know man amongst boys now he kind of, you know, he's still one of their more physically imposing guys, but other guys kind of fit in with him now, which is, and uh, on the negative side, I'm going to go just all of a sudden safety now. Yeah, when you yeah. lose Jared Bell, you looked at the, the secondary being one of their best units, if not their best unit on the entire team. We're all talking about the depth and how much that has changed, and then Jared Bell tears his ACL, and all of a sudden that's kind of out the window. You've got Terrell Smith most likely going to step into that role. He's shown that he struggles in pass protection over his career, and a lot of times. It's simply because of his lack of height. You know, a lot of times he's right there, and they'll complete it over his head because he's just not long like a Jared Bell. And then you've got Tedrick Thompson, who's a true sophomore, who's certainly going to make some mistakes being the younger guy at safety. All of a sudden, I'm concerned about that position. Now, that's the, on the negative side, yeah. the thing that, that surprised me the I, most. I think that can't be ignored. I think if asked top one for all of us, that would be just about there. I think this one is a little bit outside the box. Linebacker is going to be interesting to me uh, because – Addison Gillum is a stud. I think we all know that. he, Over the course of his career, he has a chance to be an All-American here at Colorado. But he went through a bit of a, a battle with, I don't know exactly what illness he was working with, but he lost a lot of weight. And you look at him, and he is skinny, like really skinny. And the season is a week away. And so I'm, I'm, quest- I'm wondering how he'll hold up. I think guys like Woodson Greer, while maybe becoming a bit more consistent, I, I'm still wondering how that unit as a whole – looks over the course of a season because in my opinion if you have one guy getting 120 tackles for two straight seasons that's really great that means you have a great talent but it also means your one or two other guys on the field with him at that position might not be doing their job as well uh, so I, that's the way i kind of look at it in, in, in a way but of course you know if addison gillum gets back to being addison gillum then that position is you know, that group is going to be among the better ones in the conference simply because of him. But I'm, I'm curious about the other guys, and I haven't seen this great step forward from them this uh, this fall. I'd have to say my surprise negatively um, would have to come from the quarterback position. I don't want to freak everyone out too much here, but um, I was at most of the practices, and I, I didn't leave too many of them 
saying, okay, CU set at quarterback. It's perfect. You know, Cepho is the starter far and away. No one has to worry about it. Like you you do with like a, a position like Addison Gilliam. And that's where you want Cepho to be. And, you know, I even asked McIntyre um, in one of the, the later practices, I, I said, you know, is the quarterback position solid for you? You know, is Cepho separating himself? And he did say yes. So, you know, he's obviously not as concerned about it as I might be looking at it. But I didn't think Cepho surprised anyone positively uh during camp and that's uh that was the biggest that you want to see for a guy in his second year yeah because so many people say that that leap from first year to second year is the biggest one you'll make yeah and that that was my answer too and i actually had a little bit of yours as well kind of talking about adams i would kind of describe it as you have a leaky boat right it doesn't matter how strong the good portion of the boat is if you have a leak it's gonna you know your boat's gonna sink and with the secondary it's a little bit easier for offenses to pick and choose and say, okay, we can go after this kid at safety. With Jared Bell, I'm not sure people would have been able to do that as much. So that was my concern there. Especially, too, when you talk about – there's already a question mark about the pass rush. Right. You already worry about the yeah. secondary if mm-hmm. they're not getting a pass rush because you can play great coverage. But if you're not getting a rush on the quarterback, now you kind of have two question marks. Yeah, exactly. Defense. So you have to be a little concerned there. And he's, I guess it's a little bit of a good thing that Terrell is back after injury from last year, but still – you know, I like him better in the nickelback role. Yeah, they had sure. him working out yeah, there. Yeah, there's a reason we were excited to not have him starting anymore. So that's that's a consistent issue. And for, for me, Seppel's consistency is huge. I know McIntyre doesn't seem to be all that concerned about it. Well, he's not going to say that publicly, even if he is. I mean, you, 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 don't, you don't have to say – I mean, he's been quiet about it. You know what I mean? Like – you, you, could, you, you could have expected him to be like, oh, we'd like to see a little more consistent position. You know, he's still growing, blah, blah, blah. But he's not where we want or he's not where we want him yet. But guys, we, 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 we as as fans of Mina just might not understand the drills. You know, you're supposed you, to throw you, it twenty feet over someone's head for fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, don't, I don't know if I told you the story. I, I, I asked John Emery a couple of years ago. I said, it looks like your uh, run offense or it looks like your uh, pass offense is a little bit ahead of your pass defense. And he looks at me and said, according to who? I say, well, just from my own observation, he's like, then I don't think you understand the drill. <laughs> oh, okay, coach. Thanks. And I, I personally, John is, you know, I, I don't mind him whatsoever. I, I actually like him, but that's one of my favorite <laughs> quotes from a coach ever. Like, so, Tyler, you, you, we guys, we we just may not understand yeah. the drill. Sefo could be an All-American for Atlanta. He likes to, you, Embo liked to pick on Will. <laughs> Embo did like to pick on me, man. And it was awesome. It was. Not. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> but Seppo did have a lot of momentum coming into camp. When you, I mean, mm-hmm. understand hitting golf carts at the Manning Passing Academy isn't exactly making All American candidate, but it seemed like there was a lot of positive buzz about him coming into camp. And you, uh, there is something to be said, I think, for some guys that are gamers. You know, yeah, that, yeah. That's uh, and I think Seppo does have a little bit of that in him when you look at kind of the toughness component of it and where you're not getting him in practice. I think some of those his strengths shine through in a game. Yeah, no, I think that's definitely true. I mean, he's, you know, we'll have to see, you know, it, we said the same thing about Connor last year. We felt pretty good about him going in and leaving the team, and, you know, we all know how that turned out. So it'll be interesting to see if he does make those improvements, yeah. um, you know, as we as we go on through the free you know, pretty We'll probably learn pretty quick here by Arizona State whether or not he's really ready to go. Well, this kind of segues me into our next topic of the most improved <clears throat> offensive and most improved defensive player from what we saw during those open practices. And my most improved on offense is Jordan Gerke, Cepho's yeah, backup. Too, yeah. And uh, this is a guy that last year came in as a junior college transfer was depending on what game you came out to camp last year, he was either the best quarterback on the roster or the worst. And we're talking about even some of the walk-ons they had on the team last year. It was really inconsistent. And then he ran scout team offense, and you can't really – 
evaluate a guy much on that because they're just imitating the other team and what they're trying to do. So uh, spring ball it seemed like he was making some some positive steps. Actually, uh, a lot of people thought he outplayed Sefo in the spring game. And then going into camp, uh, he brings that athleticism to the position. He's just been so much more consistent now, at least in those open practices, than he was last year. Uh, who, who do you guys have for most improved on offense? Yeah, I mean, I can just piggyback there. I had the same answer. And the reason for I, it's so easy for him to look good in this offense. I mean, you hear the coaching staff, especially Lindgren all the time, talk about the importance of having an athletic quarterback behind there. And he's much more athletic than Seppo on the ground. I mean, there's no doubt about that. And he just, he's really improved his consistency. That's why I was a little surprised earlier saying that we haven't heard a little bit more about from McIntyre saying, yeah, the race is tightened up. Because I really do think Jordan has improved quite a bit in practice. People, people are going to start freaking out when they listen to this. We just went from from talking down Sefo to talking up Gerke right back to back. But you yeah, hand but, the keys to a quarterback, and that's what they did with Sefo, and he's a team captain. You yeah. don't, as a head coach, you got to be careful about what you say in that situation. Well, you don't yeah, want for sure. Especially yeah. at the quarterback position, you want the guy to stay confident. And I, if I was Mike McIntyre, I would have said the same things that he yeah, said. Yeah, I'm not trying to say that I think Jordan Gerke should be starting because that's not true. I just think, really, I mean, I think it's a positive because now we do have a solid backup. I mean, you never obviously want your starter to get up, go out or be injured or whatever. But in this case, there's a little bit of, you know, a cushion there that I, I think. Gore, last year, if he had played, everybody would have went bananas. I think this year he could hold his own. Brian Lindgren even said that he wouldn't have felt comfortable right. putting him out yeah. there last year, but he does right now. Uh, yeah, for me, uh, a guy that's really improved himself is uh, Sean Irwin. Um, I think going into camp, you needed a guy to go out there and step up at the tight end position, and I really like what I've seen from him at that position. Um, as you'll see uh, in my interview with him that I think is coming out on Friday, um, he has worked really hard on his pass catching and that sort of thing, and McIntyre told us that he's, he only got four passes in high school. Um, so that's pretty foreign thing to him. Um, but So he does have the run blocking down, but I think he's improved himself uh, in pass catching. And he talked to me a little bit about how he uh, he knows he's not going to win too many routes off speed. And he's, he's not a fast guy, so he's worked really hard on using his body to get himself open. And he has a big body. And so I think uh, he's impressed me, and I think he's gone out and grabbed that position. I think I'm going to totally take a cop out here and go the Irwin family. Because that those two brothers, I think, have really stepped up. Uh, on the offensive line and at tight end, I think that they've solidified themselves at their position as having maybe maybe not all uh, you know. For example, Sean is not exactly the most speedy, versatile, talented tight end that you'll see in the world, but he stepped up and grabbed the position. In my opinion, I think he solidified himself as the best tight end mm-hmm. on this roster. And what else can you ask from a guy but separate himself from his competition on his team? You know, granted, yeah, you want him to go out on the field on Saturdays and prove it as well, but. Kudos to them. They've they've stepped up and they've taken what they can right now up and because there there have been no Saturdays with games yet. So up until now, they've done just about anything you everything you can ask of a player uh, in their position. And so I, I think they've been really improved. And I know we're gonna segue into the defensive position and I, I'm gonna just go right into it and steal Adam's thunder. I'm gonna go with Kenneth Crawley. Uh, this kid has gotten a lot better. I, I think, think this is gonna be everybody's pick, honestly. I, I don't yeah. think it's entirely close. Because over the last two years, and we've talked about it ad nauseum here, he's fast, he's quick, he's smooth, he's shifty. But he has no ball skills. Oh, my Lord. I mean, he'll be step for step with a guy anywhere on the field. Except maybe, you know, the first half of his freshman year when he was playing 11 yards off then retreating six yards. But but we'll, we'll, you know, chalk that one up to strategy or lack thereof. Um, (laughs) Not knowing the drill. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And he'll... 
he would be step for step with a guy anywhere on the field, and then when the ball's in play, he had no idea. It looked like he yeah. got completely lost, didn't know what to do. Um, and so I think this year you're seeing him be more physical and aggressive in the air. At the point of, you know, wide receiver coaches always tell their guys, get the ball at the highest point of attack. All of a sudden, Kenneth Crowley's challenging the highest point of attack. And it's really cool to see he's when if a guy catches it and beats him, he's bringing that off, he's wrapping and bringing that off arm to try to knock the ball out. He's becoming a smart football player. Now, he's going to have mistakes, though. He's going to have those times where a long ball gets thrown and he starts looking around like somebody's calling his name on both sides of the stadium and the ball's going to get completed over his head. It's going to happen. But I think you'll also see him make a few more plays this year on the ball uh, than we have in the last two. I think Akella Witherspoon coming in, too, and having the spring game that he did really lit a fire under him. Totally. Because he really didn't have that competition from day one. It's it's kind of sad, too, the, the state of Colorado's program in the sense that you get a four-star guy like Kenneth Crawley, and from day one, everybody thinks you have to be a four-star guy from day one. In other programs, you come in, you develop, and mm-hmm. by the time you go into your junior year, you're expected to be the four-star guy. Yeah. Well, in, in Kenneth Crawley's case, he's put out there, and to his credit, he didn't let that affect his confidence mm-hmm. long-term. <laughs> he continued to battle back. Yeah. I mean, I don't think many guys would have. They A lot of people would have packed it in and quit, yeah. uh, given the struggles that he had, and so to stick with it and now all of a sudden he does look like a four star a former four star type caliber recruit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean you look at him physically, he's in the best shape he's been in here for sure. I mean he's one guy one of the biggest dudes on the team. I know Adam you said this at practice one time and it's hundred percent true. There used to be a wide gap between Cheeto and Kenneth Crowley physically. And now if they weren't wearing jerseys, you'd be hard pressed to figure out which one was which. I mean Crowley's a little bit longer obviously but he's developed Yeah, I mean you know when we did the buff count down I caught a lot of flack for this. And even in my own opinion, I was like, this is probably too high, but we need him to be this good. And I think so far in camp, he's proved that um, he is going to be closer to that ranking. I think I had him 16 or something like that. And, and, you know, just it's similar to Irwin. I think Jeremy Irwin, I would have had, he would have been the one guy I put higher because we just didn't know what we were going to see out of him. So yeah, it was, it was interesting to see. I would, you had to think maybe Adam had a tweet even saying that you would have put Crowley higher on that countdown. Without if we, question. If we redid yeah. it after preseason. He's a, he's a top and 20 player on this team now. Yeah, and I think everybody would agree with that. And, I mean, we'll see how it, how it goes on the field. But, I mean, from a practice perspective, he's been very, very impressive. I mean, Akel Wispoon is a quality player, and to me it really hasn't even been that close between them in the last no. couple of weeks. Yeah, you guys basically covered it all. The only thing I'll add is he just, he just looks the part now. He yeah. looks like... Uh, Pac-12 corner. He's got his back plate showing out there. He's got <laughs> he's got the wristbands in the right spot. He's got the visor. He just looks like he's about to go out there. And, and our fashion out. correspondent chimes <laughs> in. What's funny though is we had uh, those photo galleries that we put up from camp in the first practice. I put up a gallery, and for some reason, the way Kenneth Crawley's shirt was laying on him at practice, it made him look like as somebody pointed on the message board. Did Kenneth Crawley gain a gut ever since then? He started rolling up his shirt, and he's got a six pack. Of course, he's not. I think we'd all aspire Maybe. to have his. You can, you can, I mean, you can confuse he's his and I's stuff. Yeah, pretty. He's high. in pretty <laughs> good shape. A little short on the stomach for him. Yeah, for sure. Is well, he is he a sleeper though? Like, I don't think the, so. Oh, in yeah. the con- when speaking conference wide, oh yeah, oh yeah. There's a lot of people yeah. though that are speaking. If you're speaking from you know a USC perspective, that we could call out as sleepers. But as Adam and I were talking about before yeah. the show, the, the Buff Stampede message boards just know the team so well that it's like almost impossible to find a sleeper because anytime someone does anything, it's on the board, and then the sleeper status goes out the window. Yeah, See, I, I just look at this team and uh, of people who made plays last year, and we expect to make plays this year. They're pretty much one and the same for the most part, in my opinion. I mean, 
We like Bryce not, Bobo, Kenneth Ogbonne. Like, I mean, but at practice recently, has Bryce Bobo been better than Shea Fields? It's different. They're, they're, they're different, different players. players. You don't but understand in terms the of for what, Good God. But for <laughs> what they do. I mean, the I mean I'd guys that we guys that other teams are other teams are looking at that are going to be playmakers, and the guys that we're looking at playmakers, there aren't more than two or three that nobody really knows about. And so, to me, Kenneth Crawley, nobody from a conference perspective, nobody, everybody thinks he's conference. not very good. Yeah, conference wise, no one is even really looking at Colorado and Addison Gillum. Yeah, I would say Greg Henderson is more No, Greg Henderson is established he's, in the conference. He's like well, they not get getting honorable mention looks on these preseason teams. I mean, I can tell you, I'm not, I don't want to say this in a way that negatively like looks at the team but when you talk to my brother at usc like he's not naming out dudes on this team that he's scared of like people i'm not sure there is anybody on this team to be scared that's what of. i'm saying so like everybody is underrated from a conference perspective because there, i don't think there's one person on this team that's like oh yeah second team all conference outside of addison Gillum right now that that the outside public would look what about you is there somebody on this team that's second team all conference besides addison Gillum? well that's what i'm saying i don't i don't think they're under the For radar, what Colorado probably. is, though, I think sleeper-wise, you're looking at <clears throat> Kenneth Crawley and, and dot, dot, dot. I mean, uh, yeah, I guess if you had a... Ch- maybe Josh Tupo? That's not a sleeper. Yeah, I don't, I don't see it. See, this is why I thought we, we had to define sleeper better in our production plan here. Because no, this I think is good. The, I think the word sleeper can be interpreted a million different mm. ways. Yeah, I went, I went totally different. On offense, Tyler McCulloch is my sleeper because I feel like people have kind of written him off with the turf toe injury, missing all of spring ball. He's a guy, but when I say sleeper, he's fifth or sixth receiver in terms of right. the depth mm-hmm. chart. Defensively, Clay Norgard's my sleeper because I feel like he's going to be in the rotation, <laughs> and no one even expects him to make plays. But he had a really good uh, preseason that, that camp. That was mine, too, so that's interesting yeah. that you said that defensively. Yeah, it's hard to really determine. I mean, you could pick a lot of freshmen for this, obviously. But I, tr- I wanted to go away from somebody that we haven't heard on the board all the time. You know, like all the freshmen people are talking about, you know, McCartney, Donovan Lee, Shea Fields, Christian Shaver. I had George Frazier. Mm, and because I wanted to get away from that, you know, the guys that have been the big names. And to me, like, he can have a big impact on this offense. He's a physical guy. We really need to establish the run game. A fullback? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I like man. it. Oh, he, makes the, he makes the pads yeah. pop. And I had I had D.D. Goodson on there, too, because I feel like he's a little bit of a forgotten name in the wide receiving court, and he's still going to get a lot of looks on this team. So it'll be, you know, I will be interested to see – if Donovan Lee and Shea Fields take his playing time or not, I think I could see. I could see. Well, Shea Fields is going to play a different position. He's not in the slot, so that doesn't affect uh, Dee Goodson. But I could see Donovan time. Lee as he gets more more playing time throughout the course of the season, kind of easing into that. But I think from day one, at least early in the season, Dee is going to be the guy at slot that's out there a lot right. more. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I picked a guy that uh, I think has taken some flack, but does have a lot of potential. And I, I went with Stefan Nembot. I think. Um, he could have a better season than a lot of people are expecting um, out there on the offensive line. Um, Will, does that fit your uh, your? Yes, absolutely. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm totally down with the Nemba pick, and I agree. I think that I, I, what I've noticed out of Nemba is there are a couple times where they're running, you know, offense, defense over on the field where we're able to be right where the players are on the sideline. And he's you hear him asking a lot of questions. You hear him being much more vocal and – you actually hear him dissecting things with fellow offensive linemen. But so when he will, you know, whether it's when he rolls off him, I've got to pick him up, not you. I've got that. 
and I and I so not to say that he hasn't been vocal in the past. Stefan Nimbot likes to talk. He, you know, he's a he's a talkative guy. But I but I see a different kind of attitude in him mentally that I think can translate into being a guy where maybe his side of the line isn't as worrisome halfway through the season, you know, halfway through Pac-12 play. But ultimately, I I maintain it. I think Kenneth Crowley is really the only real sleeper here, other than I mean, fullbacks, bro. I wanted to go away from somebody that was obvious. I think he can impact his team more than he gets credit for. Well, just sure. uh, add color to your point about Nembot and communication. I was interviewing Daniel Munyer, who lines up at right guard right next to him, and he says the communication that we have together is night and day from what it was in the past. Just kind of mm-hmm. oh, yeah. co-sign what you were saying about his um, his communication there. Uh, the question is, is can Stefan – Stay confident the first time he gets beat, and not kind of revert to he because he's one of those guys that cares so much. Right. And Connor Wood was like that, and they they have a hard time letting it yeah. go if they give up a you know a pressure. It'll or be such. interesting to see. Yeah, I mean, I think his if if he ends up being that sleeper, I think he probably could have the biggest impact on the team overall. Yeah. Because you know, if you can shore up that offensive line, a lot of things get better for you on offense. Well, Will, you're going to have to leave us here in a minute. Before we let you go, though. I want to I want to get you on the record about oh, yeah. the Buffaloes and you're going to go straight to the to the big topic here. How many games did the Buffaloes win in 2014 and who do those wins come against? You know, this is a really interesting season for Steve because I, I was talking with a couple other reporters, uh, a reporter at camp, and um, one of the feelings that we had was this team could be much more sound than in years past, much more sound in years past, but still win less games than they did last year. To me, I don't see a bowl game for the CU team at all. I, I just don't. I, especially, again, let's freak some people out, especially the fact that I didn't see this huge, tremendous leap at the quarterback position. They went from, okay, you know, not necessarily ultra-reliable but not totally destructive freshman quarterback to, okay, yeah, he's he's got it clicked sophomore quarterback. I didn't see that. I think this team wins three games. Um, and that's going to be tough for a lot of bus fans as well. I think they're going to beat Hawaii. Uh, I think they're going to beat UMass, and I think they pull uh, a win over Cal. I think they lose to CSU. This is the second year in a row. I know. It, it's weird for me to say it, but I, the more I think about it, if, you know, CU won that game last year because of one guy. His name was Paul Richardson. They, and the, they started the game off on such a high note because of a fluke play. I mean, let's call it what it was. That was a fluke play. Maybe not completely fluky, but it was like a once-a-season type play where all of a sudden there's nobody within 30 yards of Paul Richardson. Connor Wood just happens to scramble and just launch it. I mean, it wasn't like a methodical drive down the field. And then, of course, they get the late touchdown to seal it. That game was really close last year. Um, And I think having CSU's quarterback uh, return for a year gives them an advantage in this one. Good stuff, Will. Well, uh, you're definitely on the low end with your three. I, I am, and, so. and ultimately, I wouldn't be. I could see this team winning five. I could see things clicking halfway through the year. Um, you know, I could see them. I don't. I don't know what kind of upset I could see them pulling, but I think they'll at least put. I think they'll. This year is the year they put a real scare into somebody really good. I think this is the year where they have that one game where everything finally like Oklahoma in 2007, where. That was a game where everything went their way. They really had a rowdy out atmosphere at Folsom, and they took it to a team that was that far outclassed them talent and everything wise. Uh, I think this is the year where CU gets close to doing that. I don't know if they pull it off though. 
All right, Will, well, uh, thanks for joining us here for the first half an hour of the show. Uh, I'm sure everybody out there enjoyed listening, uh, hearing your voice again on the air. And uh, They don't like uh, hearing what my voice says, though. That's true. You know, sometimes. And, and I know this is a subject you guys will talk about. I just want to touch on I think the most important game on this year's schedule, I don't know what you guys are going to say, but it's UMass. Do not lose to UMass. Whatever you do, you could win nine games, and if you lose to UMass, something is off, okay? I, I think UMass... You seems, have, it seems just, like an unlikely scenario. Hey, I'm just saying, UMass is the most important game because you ultimately, if you, go, if you go three and nine and you beat UCLA, okay, yeah, you can go into LA and, no, stay with me for a moment. You go three and nine, you beat UCLA, you go into LA, tell them, yeah, we beat UCLA. And they're like, but you lost to XYZ, QP, all these other teams, you know. But if you lose to UMass, nothing you did that year matters. Nothing. Because you're still the CU team that loses to lower tier schools. You still have to deal with that negative recruiting. And if you beat UMass and only win three games, whatever. Your, your original scenario, though, if you told Colorado fans right now they could take a nine-win season but a loss to UMass, every single one of them is taking <laughs> That's they'll fine. Take six, they'll That's be trying fine. to take five wins That's with fine. a loss to UMass. That's fine. You, losing to UMass is not okay. Okay. If you are the University of Colorado, because you've lost to two D1 AA schools in the last five years. It, five years, six years, something like that? Yeah. It, it's unacceptable. Okay. They, they're, they're an FBS team now, but... Oh, they are. Congrats. <laughs> they're UMass. They're All right. UMass. All right. What do you know about UMass? I know everything there is to know about <laughs> UMass. Go John Calipari. Except that they're an FBS team. Yeah, whatever. Marcus Canby. Hey, thanks right. for having me, guys. I appreciate it. All right. Bye, Will. We're going to... Talk about the freshmen, and we've got to talk about them because Mike McIntyre has uh, a rule against talking about freshmen. Uh, some of the assistant coaches seem to be falling in line with that. But I've been talking to a lot of the veteran guys, and they mention a lot of guys, and then obviously we were out at practice and we saw with our own eyes you know, who was impressing. And I got a little bit out of Brian Lindgren in my Q&A. You did. It was good stuff, Ryan. I hope everybody checked out uh, the two-part Q&A with Brian Lindgren. Anyways, let's rank our top five freshmen, the guys that impressed us the most during camp. Um, let's start with you, Tyler. Go go five to one. Five to one. Okay. Uh, five, I had Michael Matthews. Four, Christian Shaver. Three, Evan White. Two, Donovan Lee. And one, Shea Fields. Okay. Ryan? Pretty similar for me. Um, I, uh, I kind of stayed away from the Matthews and Shaver just because I thought everyone was going to say that. So I have five, Eddie Lopez. Um, I think he's looked a lot more mobile than I thought he was going to, and I think he's going to contribute at some point, maybe not this year. Um, number four, J-Mac. I really like what I've seen from J-Mac. Um, I think he ends up being the exact opposite of Cody Hawkins. I think he ends up being the, this fan favorite that everyone loves, and you can kind of look back at these two contrasting coaches' sons um, down the road. So I really like what I've seen from J-Mac. Uh, number three, Evan White, similar to what Tyler said at, at number three. Um, he looks the part. He looks like he's getting fluid out there, um, starting to just play football. Um, it's going to be a little while, maybe, and he might end up having to contribute at some point this season now with that injury, but um, he's impressed me. Number two, Shea Fields. Um, you, you've heard about his speed. He looks really shifty and smooth out there, and number one has got to be my boy, Donovan Lee. Uh, I think he is that big play guy that um, can really break some things open for them. I went Jay McIntyre at number five on my list. Uh, fits perfectly into the slot role as a smaller guy, really good short area quickness. He catches everything that comes to him. I think he can benefit from a redshirt year quite a bit, especially when you've got a guy like Didi Goodson 
and Donovan Lee in the spot role. So, uh, you know, it'd be good for him to be able to kind of ease into things next year. But I think he has a really bright future. Number four is Christian Shaver. He's a guy that uh, has impressed uh, basically all the the veterans that I talked to. I asked him about uh, newcomers, and he's been brought up more than anybody. He fits into that hybrid role really well. This is what the staff saw, I guess, at the all-poly camp last summer because that's what uh, Andy LaRussa told me, who, who was one of the lead recruiters for him. I'll be honest, Brian, when we were doing our, our – commitment videos last year we, we talked about every commitment part of it for christian shaver was going in the back of my mind i don't think this is a pac-12 caliber recruit i guess i was completely wrong obviously in that that's circumstance okay you're getting to the point with this staff and some of the gems that you almost have to kind of just stop criticizing them i as much as it, that's our, our job to do yeah. but anyways uh tonight and back to christian shaver i think he's going to be one of the guys in the rotation at defensive end this year Number three is Donovan Lee. I agree with you, Ryan, that he's done really well. Uh, basically, every practice he was making plays, he got moved up from – when they do team period, there's two fields going simultaneously, and the ones and twos are on one field, and then the rest of the guys on another. He was moved up pretty quickly, pretty early in camp, up to that main field, did, did really well in that slot receiver role. Again, a quick guy that fits into that role. Number two is Evan White for me. Uh, again, like you guys said, looks the part at safety. I want to say he had – probably more interceptions than any safety on the team during during camp from what I saw. And number one is Shea Fields. Also got moved up to that main field pretty early on. Just uh, Clearly, he's their best deep threat, I think, from, from day one. I don't think he's going to lead this team in receptions or even finish in the top two, but I think he's the guy that's going to be able to stretch the field more than anybody else at receiver. Yeah, I mean, I, I would have I had Jay McIntyre sixth on my list if there was to be one. I, I left him off simply because just the depth in front of him right now, I, I do expect him to redshirt this year, but there's no doubt down the line he's going to be an impact player for this team. And Michael Matthews, who made your list, would probably have been sixth on mine, so yeah. kind of splitting hairs with, with a few of those guys. Let's get into some player predictions here. And while we go through this, I'm actually going to be marking it down, and once the season's over, we do our season recap show. Uh, we'll kind of go back and, and see who was a little bit more on the money in terms of predicting things this season. We're going to kind of go down the, down the list here, and it's going to include basically every position at some point. And let's start it out with quarterback. The question I'm going to pose to you guys is, will Sefa Lufau, as long as he stays healthy, will he take every snap behind center for the Buffs this year? Let's start out with uh, you, Tyler. I said no. Um, I just think that somewhere along the way either will be up a lot in the game or down quite a bit in the game. And you'll I, see. I guess I need to clarify this. I took a, I took a different way to cop out it, this question. Is he your starting quarterback going into every game? Is he going okay. to be? Yes. I, I'm, I'm not talking to you like in mop-up duty, that's one thing. Okay. As long as he stays healthy and you're not ahead by 40 points, is he the starting quarterback for for every meaningful snap, I guess is a better way to put it. Yeah, yeah, I would say yes in that case. Okay. I just figured at some point along the way, Kierke would get some, yeah, as you said, mop-up duty. Yeah, I think Cepho... Even if he doesn't play well this year, I think he has the trust from the coaching staff, and it seems pretty clear that that's the direction they want to go long term is develop him, you know, throw him in the fire type mentality as they did last year. So, yeah, I think he starts every game. I was going to go a different route to uh, circumvent this question and say that maybe they're going to run some sort of crazy formation and throw <laughs> someone else behind center with some wild buffalo or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it wasn't worded the way yeah. that it should have been. You guys understand now what yeah. I'm talking yeah, yeah. about, though. So, yes, I think he will start every game as long as healthy um, or go into the game being the starter. Okay, I'm going to say yes as well. Um, I thought about this. This wasn't just a 
quick yes without question because of what we talked about earlier in the show about Jordan Gerke. Um, but And I think if you're a Colorado fan, you want the answer to this question to be yes. You don't want to keep playing musical chairs at the quarterback position. I really think sure. the only way they, they completely pull the plug on Cepho is if they start 0-3 or 0-4 or something, and that's just absolute. Yeah. You better figure something out and try something or else you're in big trouble. So that that's the only way I really see them uh, pulling the mat on, from under yeah, uh, you get You get into that two-quarterback system, and you know, as they always say, if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. So I, I don't think that's the direction they want to go unless they're really pressured. And have, you know, one of those like Ryan said, 0-4, where you have to make a change. I thought the staff handled the Connor Wood thing perfectly last year. Is they 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 stuck with him until you just couldn't any longer. And I think early in that ASU game, fans, media, the coaches, obviously, because they made the change, were going going. Okay, this is pretty clear at this point. It's not working. It's but I felt like it was perfect timing in that sense. And then they stuck with Simple the rest of the way because you had to do that. So. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if they, they're put in that situation again this year where they have to make a tough decision. Sticking with Cephal Lufau, my question to you guys now is, will he rank in the top nine in the conference in passer rating? Now, for uh, comparison's sake here, his passer rating last year was 128.3. Now, he didn't play enough snaps to qualify for the official uh, you know, Pac-12 rankings in terms of that, that stat. If he had played enough with that ranking, he would rank ninth last year. So that's right where this is set this year. You talk about all the great quarterback play. Ryan, does he rank in the top nine in the conference in quarterback rating, rating this year? Uh, I don't see it. I don't see it happening. I think um, nine would be a good spot for him to land. I think that's kind of right around where I see him landing. So I guess you could say I see him in the top nine, but... I'm erring on the, the side of Colorado. Yeah, th- this this means if you say no, that means he's going to rank 10th, 10th. 11th, or 12th. I think there's a better chance of him ranking 10th than it is of him ranking 9th or better. So um, I'm going to say no, he does not. Yeah, I mean, if you were a line maker, I think you'd be right on here. Nine is more or less where I, I would expect him to be. Um, I said no as well. Um, so you're, you're just, probably putting him at ten. I, I, I think like, the yeah, line think, would be nine and a half. Yeah, I think ten. I think ten is a good is a good place for him to be. Um, there's there are definitely a few new quarterbacks in the conference, but a lot of them are back. And I mean, you talk about on national pan, uh, like people are talking about the conference. A lot of the reason that they think so highly of the conference this year is their quality of their returning quarterbacks. So it's not all to say Seppo's not going to be that good. I just think there's a lot of quality quarterbacks in the conference this year. I, I, would, I wouldn't be surprised to see him go somewhere between 8th and 10th at the end of the year, but I said no. I said no as well, and it, it just it, to your point, Tyler, it's, it's about more about the other quarterbacks in the conference than it is about Seppo. Um, even a guy like Cody Kessler, who struggled early last year for USC, got a lot better as it went on. Siler Miles steps in as a starting quarterback. I think I would predict him to have a better quarterback rating. He's going to have a great offensive line in front of him. Yeah. Um, so there, there's not many quarterbacks you could look to. Uh, Travis Wilson is back at Utah. It seems like Connor, Connor Halliday at Washington State, almost every team in this entire conference has a really, really good quarterback. We didn't even bring up Sean Mannion, Brett Hundley, Marcus Mariota. So it's just a, such a stacked conference in that sense. What are you laughing about, Ryan? Just the more you say it, the, just the less likely it sounds for him yeah. to be in the top just, nine. You know? just Taylor Kelly, I yeah. didn't even bring him up. Yeah. Yeah. I think Arizona's quarterback situation the is the only one that's worse yeah. than, than CU's. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, and like I said, that's what people have been discussing. When you talk about the strength of the conference, you have six teams ranked. It's almost primarily because people are really excited about the returning quarterbacks in the conference. Even Goff was good for uh, Cal last year. Yeah. So we're all in agreement here on the Cephal-Lufau-related Topics. Hopefully, we can uh, 
disagree here a little bit more as we go on. The next question, in, uh, we're going to running back. Who will lead the team in re, uh, rushing yards? Now, last year, Christian Powell and Michael Atkins were 27 yards apart uh, for their total yardage, but Michael Atkins did play in three last games. I'm going to kick it off here. I'm going to go with Michael Atkins, a guy that averaged five and a half yards per carry. Uh, kind of disappeared a little bit in the spring because of an ankle injury, but he's bounced back and had a really good camp. Uh, he's just the guy that I think – brings the, the most playmaker element uh, to the table at that position. I think Philip Lindsay is probably going to be used a lot in the red zone. He's going to score some touchdowns uh, for them. I think Christian Powell is going to be a change of pace. And I think Tony Jones, especially as a receiver out of the backfield, is going to be utilized. But I think Michael Atkins is going to be their headlining running back this year. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. I think Michael Atkins is your home run threat. I think that's the guy that you rely on game in and game out to get to give your touches. I think you set it up perfectly with all the other guys. We have a stable of backs, all quality I think it's a really, you know, really deep position, um, and they're good at one thing specifically. And I think we're going to put them in positions to succeed. I don't think Christian Powell's going to get enough touches this year to get to Michael Atkins. Um, they were obviously close last year. I think Michael Atkins will, by several hundred yards, have the most rushing yards this year. I just put down a number. I said 847. I think he'll be comfortably above it. Was that just a number you kind of picked out of yep. the air? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's similar to where I think he'll be. I, I think I really do think he's going to be the primary guy. I mean, you're going to see maybe everybody else get similar touches combined to him total in most of the games. It will be hard for a running back with the the depth they have to get 1,000 yards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, the segment's getting a little chalky, but uh, I'm going with Adkins, too. I think maybe a more polarizing question could have been who has the most rushing touchdowns. Um, then I think you might be looking at Christian Powell as a, a yeah. closer threat here. Yeah, for sure. But, um, yeah, in terms of yards, I think that Atkins does uh, get it by a couple hundred. Let's move on to receiver. I think we're all in agreement that Nelson Spruce, is, as long as he's healthy, he's going to lead this team in reception. So that wouldn't have been a very good question. But let's let's look at it this way. Who will finish second, third, and fourth in receiving behind Nelson Spruce? So let's start with you, Ryan. Um, uh, second, I'm, I'm putting Bryce Bobo. Um, I think that he uh, gets um, a lot of receptions. If this was yards, it might be different at number two. But um, in terms of receptions, he seems like a better candidate for me at, at number two, um, just in that mid-range area. Um, then I put Didi. I think him and uh, Bobo are going to be very close. Um, my, my biggest issue with Didi is I think he uh, has a little bit of a problem with the drops. And it's not a huge deal, but... We've talked about this a little bit in practice. He's so built and his arms are so big, he kind of has trouble getting passes above his head. Um, and with Sefo's accuracy being a little bit of a question mark, um, I decided to drop him down one. And then number four, I have Shea Fields. Um, I've been high on Donovan Lee all camp, and even before that, everyone knows that. But I think Shea Fields uh, connects on some long ones. And, oh, we're talking about reception. So yeah. that's... I take it back. I'm putting. <laughs> I was going to ask you. You had Lee higher than Fields on I'm your putting Donovan. I'm putting Donovan Lee. Sorry, I, I, went, I switched back to yards in my head. I'm putting Donovan Lee at four. Although I do think Shea Fields will have more yards than him. Okay, Tyler. I'm actually a little surprised that Didi showed up on yours. I have him too, and I was. I thought that maybe people, like I said, I thought he was a little bit forgotten earlier. So I have him in the second most receptions. Um, I feel like he's going to get a lot of screen passes. You know things. You know, a couple quick outs, things like that. He probably won't have the amount of yards that some of the other guys have that we were talking about. But I do expect him to be second on the team in receptions. 
Um, I have Bryce Bobo third. He's going to get a lot of playing time. I like him next to Nelson Spruce more than I like any other receiver next to Nelson Spruce on the team right now. Um, probably will be a red zone threat along with Tyler McCulloch as well. Um, he's one of the bigger guys on the team, and he, he's a talented guy. I mean, if he can if he can stay healthy and gets keeps his head right, um, I think he'll be third for me. And I had Shea Fields at four as well. I think he's the most talented freshman. Um, I don't want to give anybody the idea that he's Paul Richardson or anything. He's not. But he, to me, he is the best freshman on the team right now, true freshman on the team. Um, he's really smooth. Uh, he, I, I like the way he runs routes a lot of freshmen. He, they come in, you can see the talent, but they aren't running routes the way that you would expect them to. And with him, I really do expect him to make an impact on this team immediately. I've seen him make some jukes out there. Yeah, he's, just, he's really impressive. He, I think smooth is, is a really good way to describe yeah. how he uh, shifts his way around the field. If we didn't have the, the point of reference in terms of watching a guy like Paul Richardson in recent years, I think we'd be even more excited about Shea Fields. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's the best skill freshman we've had in a long time. That was eligible to play right away. Yeah. 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 Without Paul Richardson, I think we would be – Almost as excited. When Paul came in, we were obviously really excited. I think Shea would get, would have gotten that similar hype if he had not come in right after Paul Richardson. I'm going to go D.D. Goodson, number two. I agree with you, Tyler. I think being in the slot, he's going to get a lot of checkdowns and a lot of plays for him. Ryan, you mentioned that you worry about Sefo's accuracy. I, I, when I worry about Sefo's accuracy, it's more with the deep mm-hmm. passes. I think uh, he'll be able to get the ball to D.D. Goodson. Um, number three, I actually have Shea Fields uh, higher than you guys. I think... I saw enough from him as camp progressed before they closed it up. And towards the end, he was making plays against Greg Henderson. That's when I was going, okay, okay. This, yeah, he's good, man. Yeah. And uh, I don't I don't think it's going to be a wide margin between him and who I have at number four. And number four, I have Bryce Bobo. I think those guys will be fairly close. But I'm just going to get to give Shea Fields the edge over the season. I think he's going to play more and more. And Bryce Bobo, obviously being a possession guy, is going to get quite a few receptions this year. Um, so we're, we're pretty much in agreement. Uh, Ryan, you're the, the only one that had uh, Donovan Lee in there. That wouldn't shock me, but that would mean that um, he's splitting time with D.D. Goodson. Right, yeah. To, like I said, it was just a receptions versus yard thing. I think uh, Shea's going to have – he, he, a lot of yards. I think he's going to get some some deep passes uh, for sure. But uh, I think um, just in terms of receptions, I think Donovan Lee is going to get a lot of the things that you were talking about with Didi. Um, I think if they're throwing lots of screens to that position, yeah. I think that's when you see Donovan Lee start ro- rotating in there and getting those short passes yeah. and trying to make plays. I, I would not honestly be surprised to see two through six be Very somewhat close. tight. Tyler McCulloch is going to be in the mix there? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think he's going to get 25 catches or anything, but he might get up to, like, 15. And, you know, D.D. might have 40. So, But I still, I think it'll be, a, after Nelson, I think there'll be it'll be spread around quite a bit. I think it'll be close enough that there'll be a lot of guys. There was a day There was a day at practice that Cepho was targeting uh, Tyler Cole almost every single play out there. And as soon as that happened, that Tyler kind of went up in, in my book. Uh, I feel like those two actually have a pretty good um, connection there. So I think um, when he's on the field, Zephyr will definitely be looking for him. He's a 6'5 target. He's been in the program now uh, for four years, so it makes sense yeah. that he's a guy that – He's you, healthy. I mean, you can tell. Healthy. He's not a fast guy by any means, but you can tell. He's moving around better than he has in the last couple of years out there. Yeah, he had the turf toe on his yeah. pinky toe last year, and he played through it, and eventually they said, you know, we got to shut you down for spring ball because it's the only way it's going to heal, and it's – Got to be one of the hardest injuries as a player, not to be able to go because of your pinky yeah. toe. I, I felt really bad for Tyler in the spring. Let's move on to tight end. And we talked earlier, Ryan, you, you talked about Sean Irwin being a guy that's that's impressed you at tight end. Obviously, he's he stepped 
seemingly into that starting tight end role. Nothing's been official yet, but uh, even on the post-spring depth chart, he had jumped ahead of Slavin, who's got two years on him eligibility-wise. So that's pretty impressive for Sean uh, with less experience to get that that spot. I'm setting the over-under for catches with Sean Irwin at 13.5. Now, last year, the, the top tight ends in terms of receptions were Kyle Slavin and Scooter Fernandez, who tied uh, with nine catches each. And Jeremy Irwin only did catch one pass last year as a redshirt freshman. Sean, uh, Sean Irwin. Uh, would you guys go over or under on 13.5 receptions for Sean Irwin? Um, I'll go. I said under, but I, I really like that line. I think it'll be really close to that. And the only reason I said under is because I do think Kyle Slavin is going to get some decent playing time as well. And I, between the two of them, they'll be over 13.5 for sure. Maybe, maybe closer to 20. But okay. I think him individually, he'll, he'll be slightly under 13.5. I said over just because in third and short situations, especially when the running game isn't clicking for them, they love to have the tight end just go and sit the, sit there and hit it hit it all the time. Um, and I think um, after talking to Sean, I think he has a really good grasp on uh, how to get open in that situation and use his body to kind of box his way out and catch the ball out there with your hands. Um, so I think he will be right at 15. That's actually – Brian, uh, you almost stole the words out of my mouth there. I was going to say 15 receptions is what I see him getting, so that would be a slight over. I'm going to join you on that as well. Let's talk about offensive line now. Now, last year the offensive line gave up 17 sacks, and that seems like a really low total if you had watched the season and weren't you know, looking at the box score every game. You, you guys aren't going to believe this. CU ranks number four in the Pac-12 in sacks given up last fall. Eight teams in the Pac-12 gave up more sacks. <laughs> In Colorado, can you? Can, do you guys? This is straight off the Pac-12 website. You I, guys don't even. I said this before the show when I when I asked for the stat on how many sacks they gave up. I said I it honestly felt like they gave up 17 in the UCLA game alone. But the more you think about that, it was just it was hits on Cepho. I, I wonder what that where they rank in that stat on hits on the quarterback or knock quarterback getting knocked down because I think that would be a little bit higher. Um, I think they narrowly avoided a lot of sacks there. Yeah, they had like something like 70 pressures on the quarterback last year, so that's where your kind of thinking goes off a little bit in this category. Yeah, I mean, I'm over here grinning because it just seems like maybe our stat keepers fell asleep for four games. <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't seem possible to me how – I mean, I said over easily. No, um, the, the, uh, i got to set the uh, tell everybody out there, the, the line that I set was 16.5 yeah. sacks, which is half a sack less than last year. Yeah, see, that to me is – it just it doesn't seem possible that you know it's, it's that's less than two sacks a game. It seems like pretty standard that you get a couple sacks a game here and there. And by no means is Cephal running away from anybody out there, so it's a little surprising. Um, I mean, I, I would say over, and I, I think if you're anywhere even close to that, like anywhere under two a game on average, twenty four, I think you'd still have pretty good statistics there. So I said over just because the number to me just seems small. Yeah, it's one of those things like you talk about with. Uh, Colorado could be better this year and get less wins than last year, like, kind of like what Will was saying. I think the offensive line could be better this year and give up more sacks than that. Um, so I, I'm going over two, and like, like Tyler said, less than two a game is, is pretty good. Yeah, maybe in that case, Ryan, it'll be a situation where they give up about the same amount of sacks or maybe a few more, but then less pressures on the quarterback, right, exactly. which would make it seem like a lot of improvement. I'm going to go over as well. Yeah, you've got some new pieces. Uh, I think Nembot's going to be better, but it's still he's going to be uh, a sub subpar, below average type of pass protector still. Jeremy Irwin looks great in, in camp, but th- this is a sophomore, a guy that didn't play football for a year. He's going to have to struggle through some growing pains. And so 
those are your bookend tackles. So I'm going to go over as well. I think they give up somewhere around 18 or 19 sacks this year. Moving to the other side of the ball, which defender will lead the Buffs in quarterback sacks? I love this question. Uh, I posted it to the board last week after we kind of talked about it with a couple of the other uh, media members. Um, I love it so much because I think there's going to be a lot of – it's going to be a log jam right at the top. Um, I think the line on the leader would be like four and a half. So no one's going to blow up and, you know, Michael Strahan, the Pac-12. But um, I, I, I have the winner being uh, Kenneth Olubode. Um I think that they're going to send him off the corner on a lot of blitzes, and I think you're really going to get to see his speed out there. Um, coming off the edge in um, a type of, I don't want to, not comparing him, but in a type of Von Miller role um, for the Buffs. And uh, so I think, you know, he gets right around five and leads the team. Yeah, this question for me took the longest to answer for sure. I went back and forth on quite a few guys. Um, I ended up choosing Derek McCartney because, to me, he's the most physically impressive defensive end. I, I think I think he, out of all the defensive ends, he's most likely to get that number for me. I would agree somewhere around four. I think there could be three or four guys right in that three to four range. And I think kind of a sleeper in this category might be Chio Amuzi too coming off the call. Get some sacks. Okay. I'm going to agree with you, Tyler. I got Derek McCartney as well. Uh, he had a really, really good spring. Kent Bear proclaimed them to be their best defensive end. I asked uh, Andy LaRusso, who's been coaching the DNs uh, a couple of days ago, about that. He says, Derek McCartney has done really well. The gap has kind of closed a little bit. He's not head and shoulders better than everybody like he was in the spring. I think a guy, a sleeper here might be Tyler Hennington moving from defensive tackle to end. He's looked like a pretty good uh, pass rusher, went healthy. He did have that ankle injury. I think Jimmy Gilbert, I think Olubode, Derek McCartney, I, and, and Hennington, I think those guys will all be within a couple sacks of yeah. each other mm-hmm. at the end of the it, You even could see uh, Gillum getting a couple shooting up the middle. Sure. Yeah, a couple. Yeah, I had Olubode in my top three when I was going through the rankings, too. I mean, to, those are the guys that you would expect to see out there. To me, I think it's you kind of go back to the offensive line question. It, um, who gets more pressures could be different because mm-hmm. I think getting sacks is all about that closing speed. And I think Tyler Hennington could get back there a lot and kind of force the quarterback to throw it away. I think Oluboda has that speed to get there before the quarterback yes. you know, has a chance to find them and get rid of it. Last year, Addison Gillum, during his, uh, his freshman All-American campaign, had 119 tackles. Only five players in the Pac-12 last year in total had more than 105 tackles. I'm going to set the over-under at tackles with Addison Gillum for the season at 115. Does he uh, come close to that 119 that he put up last year? Tyler, let's start with you. Yeah, actually, Will stole my thunder earlier in the show on this, explaining why I I said under, and I hope that's the case because I think the depth at linebacker and other parts of the defense are more improved this year. I think when you have, especially for a freshman, they have 119 tackles. Obviously, he's a stud, but it also shows that the rest of the defense really wasn't doing all that well. Um, So I think he's still going to lead the team in tackles and won't be close. But I'd like to see him get closer to 100 this year and kind of rely on some of the other guys in the field to, you know, stay in their gaps and take on a few of those tackles and maybe be a little more overall productive defense. Yeah, I went under as well. I think the middle of this defensive line is so stout that um, when you're running up the middle, I don't know how, how often you're going to get back there to uh, Addison Gillum. Um, in his position. So I think that's going to knock him down a little bit. And like you said, the linebacker position is a little more shirt up. Um, so I think that's going to knock him down a little bit. I don't think it's a knock on him at all. I just think it, it kind of knocks him down. And I, I, like you said, I have him right around 102, 103. I give him 105 this year. I think he's still going to be an elite company in terms of uh, being a tackles guy in the Pac-12. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't. it's really hard to get 
115 tackles, even though he did it last year. And uh, as McIntyre has said a lot of times, if he's creating turnovers, they're not quite as worried about his you know tackle number being what it was last year. So I think you'll see him over 100 sh- uh, south of 115 and maybe add a few more turnovers in there to make him still uh, showing improvement in, in developing as a player. Moving back to the secondary, I know, uh, Ryan, you, you were counting on Jared Belt to lead the Buffaloes in interceptions, obviously. Uh, unfortunately, with his torn ACL, that's not going to happen. Uh, I'm going to go with Greg Henderson there. He led the team with four last year. It's kind of a, not a very – I'm not really going out on a limb here with this pick. Uh, I guess you can make the argument that teams might not throw at him a lot, but I think with Kenneth Crawley's improvement, you got Witherspoon in the rotation who should be pretty good there. I don't – I think they're going to have to test Henderson a little bit, and I think he will, again, lead the team in interceptions. Um, I'm gonna go with I guess a little bit of an under the under the radar pick here and go with uh, Cheeto. Um, I think that he's just a guy that just makes plays and he's the best athlete on the team. I think he makes a couple acrobatic, you know, tip it up in the air, get an interception. So I think um, similar to last year, I think four would would win it this year um, in terms of number of interceptions. And so I think um, you see him go out there and start making. Um, some really nice plays showing off his athleticism and his improvement um, in coverage. Yeah, for me, my Jared Bell would have been my answer too. Um, I've, I felt really good about him leading the team in interceptions this year. And they, I think people would have stayed away from Greg in that scenario. And I, I'm not ready to say Kenneth Crawley is going to lead the team in interceptions. But as we discussed, still his weaknesses are his ball skills. So for me, Henderson is kind of the default answer, kind of like you said. I think Cheeto is a good answer too, but those nickel guys, some you know, they get more deflections and less interceptions. It seems like to a lot of the short. He'll get guys. a couple forced fumbles, Cheeto. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They they seem to make impacts in different ways. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's going to be a small number again, just like Henderson with four last year. I mean, it, it'll probably be even between those top four guys. I wouldn't be shocked if Kenneth Crawley leads the team in interceptions, but I can't predict it. If I mean. Similar to how he's progressed in camp, if that happens, I think that's a pretty good sign. Sure. For the secondary. Was it the what game was it that he made a really nice interception in the back of the end zone? Late, sure. very late in the game yeah. too. Yeah. I forget. Yeah, I don't know. Anyways, moving on to special teams here, last category in terms of our player predictions. Will either Dara O'Neill or Will Oliver be in the discussion for all-conference honors, uh, two senior specialists entering their last year with the Buffaloes? Now, what I mean by this is Will they be either all-conference or honorable mention all-conference? Now, for honorable mention all-conference, you just need one vote. So it's not uh, like you need to be the top guy in the league to be a yes in terms of this question here. Um, I would say yes for Dara. I think that's – I mean, that's certainly expected. Um, He's been around a long time, and he's still to this day one of our better players. I mean, I trust him to do his job more than a lot of people on this team still. Um, I think with Will, the answer – I put no – um, he he's accurate, but not quite as accurate as I think maybe he's given credit for at times. And he doesn't kick a lot of long field goals. And you see a lot of these guys with the national accolades are usually pretty proficient at hitting over 50 yards. We don't do that a lot here. Um, so for me, I said no on the offer. Yeah, uh, I also said Dara will be uh, in the discussion. Um, I think he had a little bit of a down year last year, um, and like like Tyler said, he still did his job and, and got away. I think really it's not going to be as much on his shoulders whether he gets all-conference all as his coverage team. 
Um, I think as long as this coverage team holds strong down there and doesn't, you know, give up too many broken tackles and stuff like that, I think he will be up there. So uh, I'm putting a little bit of trust in, in the coverage team as well. I'm going to say no for both. Uh, three of the top four punters in terms of stats in the Pac-12 last year are back. Darrell O'Neill was tied for fifth last year. Ryan, yeah, like you said, it was kind of a more of a down year for him. But I, I look at the guys returning in the Pac-12, and I think Darrell will kind of stay in that that fifth category. Um, and then with place kickers, three of the top five in the conference returned from last year in the Pac-12. Um, and, and Will Oliver, again, kind of like you said, Tyler, he's he's a very dependable kicker, but he's not a guy that's going to make field goals consistently from beyond 50 yards. I see both of these guys being like middle of the Pac-12 type of players, which if Colorado could be middle of the Pac-12 at every position, yeah. they'd be very happy. Sure. So it's certainly not a position of, of weakness, either puncher or place kicker. I just don't see these as even honorable mention all-conference guys. Uh, so I'll defer from you guys uh, on that category. I feel like we agreed a lot. We have a few differences here and there. Let's move on and see if we have some differences when we talk about Pac-12 and national preseason predictions. First off, let's start the Pac-12. Let's each give our Pac-12 division winners and who wins the Pac-12 championship game. Um, I'll start off uh, with the Pac-12 South, and I have UCLA winning the South. I think that's probably a pretty universal pick there. Um, and in the North, I have Stanford. Uh, I think they're just the most well-coached team in the entire conference, and I think that's going to show up for them um, in terms of getting wins up there in the north. Both of you are shaking your head, which I like. Um, no, so uh, with that being said, I still think UCLA is the better team, and I think they'll end up winning the conference outright. Yeah, which, I, which would put UCLA in the first ever college football playoff. Because yes. no matter who wins the, the Pac-12 this year, they're, oh, they're, they're going. They're going yeah, yeah, it's a deep league. There's no way. Somebody's going in the playoffs this year for sure. Um, for me, I have UCLA in the south as well, and I really don't think it's that close. I would say the two teams behind them, uh, ASU and, and USC, are good teams. I don't think they're as good as UCLA this year, and I think they, I think they'll probably win that division pretty comfortably by okay. game or two. Um, in, in the North, I actually have, I do have Oregon. Um, Stanford obviously is a great choice too. They've been just as good in the past few years. I just love Mariota, and while I do think um, there, there are a lot of the second and third ranked overall in the nation. I don't think they're quite that good, but I do think they are the best team in the North this year. But I also have UCLA winning the Pac-12 championships. So We're going to be un unanimous in that. I have oh, UCLA. Good. I actually have UCLA going into the Pac-12 championship game with one loss, and I've got Oregon running. I have them you know, getting over on Stanford finally this year, winning the North, matching up against UCLA, and I think UCLA wins that to go to the first ever college football playoff, but Oregon will have that one loss and end up going to obviously a good, good, good bowl game. But for them, their expectations are national championship or bust at this point. Um, th those are, uh, you know, two of the top three. I think when you talk about uh, debating this conference, th there really aren't a lot of potential surprise teams though. And uh, that's kind of the next category here. Is there a team in the Pac-12 that could surprise some people? Yeah, I mean, for me, we were talking about this before the show, it's going to be hard to surprise me this year because I, we have six teams ranked. So the bottom three of those, I would say, are maybe even a little bit overranked in my eyes. Um, and so from a positive standpoint, you don't have a whole lot of options. I mean, it's hard to really say that Colorado, let's say, for example, is going to be a surprise unless they win three conference games or something like that. Um, so for me, as a default, I said Cal just because um, it's – 
unlo- it would be hard to see them being as bad as they were last year. So to me, they could have the biggest. They could surprise. win four games and be right. a surprise team. Exactly. Team exactly. So I don't really. I'm not going to be surprised if they do that. So it's. I don't know. It's kind of a weak answer, I guess, but. I don't really have a great one. I think Cal has the chance to improve the most over last season. I'll say that. I have a weak one here, too. My pick is Washington, and they're ranked 25th. And I really don't think they're going to finish much higher than that. The reason I'm picking them as my surprise team, because, well, for one, I couldn't think of one better, obviously. But two is is a lot of people, when they lose Bishop Sankey, Austin Safarian Jenkins, their big tight end, and uh, Keith Price, their quarterback, a lot of people, I think, on the outside looking in, with the coaching change as well, go, okay, I think Washington is not going to be as good this year. But I think with Chris Peterson, he's as good a coach, if not better, than Sarkeesian is, and he's going to prove that long-term there. I like Siler Miles to step in and do really well at quarterback. Uh, they bring back basically everybody on both lines, so they're going to be really, really good in the trenches. We saw when Colorado went up to Seattle last year that they're more than just a Bishop Sankey or an Austin Safarian Jenkins. This is a pretty pretty deep football team. So I think they will surprise some teams, some, pe- some people that kind of think they're going to, they're going to slip up this year. All right, I think mine will be the favorite pick out of the three of us. I'm, I'm going to choose Colorado as the surprise team. And this isn't based off of win totals or anything like that. I just think people are going to be surprised at how much better uh, they look on the field. I don't think there's going to be many, if any, of those huge blowouts um, where, you know, Colorado is down 21-0 in the first five minutes and uh, it's like everyone's hanging their heads. I think people are going to be pretty surprised that, you know, CU um, can get their win total up a little bit and, I think, um, like Will said, I think this is a year where they finally do sneak up on someone. He talked about that Oklahoma upset, and the thing about that Oklahoma upset was it was a defensive win for them. You know, they made some plays. They had a couple interceptions, um, some big sacks, and I think that this defense is now capable of doing that, and, and you know, they're not going to shut anyone out or, or be incredible, but I think they have one game in them where they just, you know, make all the right plays and make all the big tackles and the third down stops. So I think they do sneak up on someone in that sense, and I think that's what makes them the surprise team in the Pac-12. Okay. What about overrated team in the Pac-12? I'm going to start it off here with Arizona State. This is a team that's ranked in the top 25. They're going to score a ton of points this year with Taylor Kelly at quarterback and, and DJ Foster is in there. It sounds like Kalen Balage, uh, the, the prized in-state guy from last cycle, is doing well out there. Uh I just don't think they're going to be able to stop people. It's going to be like the, the, the old Phoenix Suns model of scoring, trying to outscore opponents. They lose nine starters on defense, and Todd Graham doesn't seem too concerned about that. He's a defensive guy. He thinks he can coach those guys up. But when you have nine new starters on defense, I don't care if they come from the JC ranks or where, that's a lot of new personnel to fit in there, and I, and I think they're going to slip up early in the season. And so that's my overrated team in the Pac-12. Yep, I uh, matched you on that one. Someone today um, was talking about Mac, Mike McIntyre um, being 0-10 against ranked teams in, in his career. And uh, they said, you know, he's probably going to have about five chances this year. What's the best chance? I said that the most likely chance is against ASU because I don't think they deserve to be a top 25 team in the first place. So, um, And they probably still will be in that position when they come to Colorado in week three. So... I think um, they they're I would put them a lot lower than where they are, maybe in the 30s somewhere. Um, 
So, yeah, I don't see them living up to that hype. ASU is one of those programs traditionally, too, when they have high expectations, the top 25 preseason ranking, they never live up to it. And a lot of times when people don't expect Arizona State to be very good, they are. It's one of those programs that, that seems to do that. Yeah, three's a party here, and you literally just stole the words out of my <laughs> mouth. That was exactly what I was going to say. I feel like they weren't – they were – I mean, the, the results on the field last year were pretty impressive. But watching them in all the games except for us, obviously, where they made us look like – you know, it, that was a rough game. I was there. Um, they made Colorado look like Colorado. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, really bad. That game was really bad, though. And I, they're they're a good team. I'm I'm surprised at how high they are ranked preseason, and I will also be surprised if they finish the season ranked, despite this being a very deep conference. And we're going to kind of get the SEC effect where everyone's going to be ranked in the 18 to 25 range, and they lose to each other, and no one really drops. Um, I, I would still be surprised if they finish ranked at the end of the season, and I don't think they're going to finish in the top two in the South. So, for me, that's the easy answer. And I also put down Oregon in parentheses just because I don't think they're the second or third best team in the country. I think they'll finish somewhere closer to seven or eight, something like that. I mean, obviously, they're still a great football team, but I'd be a little surprised to see them in in the top two or three at the end of the year. We're not going to stay too long on the topic of just college football in general, but I feel like we should get out our predictions for just our, our national uh, the, the national championship game, uh, obviously this is going to be the first year of the, the new college football playoff. Four teams will qualify for that. Give me who, give me the two teams that are going to be in that game, and then give me your champion out of that game. All right, so for me, mine changed over the course of the past few days because I really thought, I thought Ohio State was going to go undefeated this year with Braxton Miller. Um, and people are going to say that's a homer pick, but for all of you out there, I don't really like Ohio State that much, so it's really not. I just I love Braxton Miller. I love Urban Meyer as a coach. I mean, that's an impressive program there, and I, I would have said they would have gone through a week Big Ten undefeated this year and, and, and gone in. Um, so they're gone, obviously. So for me, I kind of went shock, and I'm mad at myself. I have Alabama beating Florida State, and I have I have Florida State in there because, once again, they, don't, they play in a weak league and – you know, they, they're obviously an extremely talented team and w- way outclass everybody else in the ACC talent-wise. Alabama, I really only did this because I, last year, if, if you can call it an embarrassment for Alabama, that's how the end of last year was for them. The way that Auburn game ended and their bowl game. It, that's a bowl game they didn't really want to be right, part well, of. Yeah, but still, people are talking about it now. And he's asked about it all the time in interviews. Like that's Alabama remembers stuff like that, and they're gonna they don't they don't want that to happen again. So to me, they're probably still the most talented team in the country, and they have a little chip on their shoulder from last year. So to me, they're winning. Have you put the now you have UCLA winning the Pac-12, so that would be in your college football mm-hmm. draft. I didn't put this on the production plan. Do you have a, a fourth team that maybe you'd sneak in there? Ooh, right off the top of my head, let's see. It's gonna be tough because I, it's gonna be hard to get a second SEC team in there. But it might happen. I mean, maybe whoever wins – see, I don't know if – if you win the Big Ten, I think now it could be like a Michigan State at 10-2, and two, and I don't think that gets you in either. So I don't know. I'd have to think about that. Maybe you can go, and I'll have one ready for you at the end. All right. I, um, I have uh, – this kind of goes into the next question, which is a surprise team nationally. I have uh, Bama – beating UCLA in the title game, um, which I, I, I'm going to say this early. UCLA is going to be my surprise team nationally. I don't think too many people 
think they're going to be in the college football playoff final. And I could see that being a, a real possibility. I think Brett Hundley is going to really open some eyes up this year. And I think you might hear his name again come from my mouth later in this um, this uh, national countdown, whatever we're doing. Um, so I think Bama wins that. And um, kind of like what Tyler said, they're just they're going to come back and they don't have to they don't have that pressure of, oh, no, if we lose one game, we're not going to the championship. I think last year they were still probably the best team in the country despite what happened in their bowl game. So I think they go in there, and I think they're going to beat UCLA pretty handily in that game. Any idea on the other teams you'd put in that college football playoff? I have Florida State as my third team. I I, I don't know about the fourth. I'm looking at their rankings here. I, I don't want to put Oklahoma in there, Ohio State, not anymore. Um, Auburn, like Tyler said, it's hard to get a second SEC team in there. So I don't know. I don't know who's going to be my fourth team. All right. Well, I'm going to go uh, Alabama over Florida State like Tyler. Um, buying uh, Jacob Cokerstock low here because I think he's going to be a, a household name. You, you heard a lot of people talking about it at SEC Media Days, how it just doesn't have the star power anymore. It's just because there's a lot of changeover. Marshall, the one quarterback that's returning that everybody knows about, of course, had the marijuana issue, wasn't actually there at Media Days as punishment. I think Jacob Coker, uh, with all that talent around him, he's not going to be quite the same type of quarterback that A.J. McCurran is. I think he's going to be a guy that can actually make some more plays and not just be that game manager. Yeah. Florida State... Could, I mean, they basically almost steamrolled everybody last year. And I think with what they have coming back, that they're going to be in that championship game. I just think Alabama, and they do have a chip on their shoulder after last year. I've got UCLA in the college football playoff. And even with Joe Mixon getting suspended at Oklahoma, I'm going to sneak them in as my fourth fourth team. Yeah, I think looking back at it, as soon as I looked at this, that would have been the other team I threw in there. Not because I really think they're all that good, but I think the Big 12 is looked at more highly than the Big 10 right now, and I think they're also the clear leader to win that conference right now, even without mixing. And it sounds like maybe Doral Greenbeckham's not playing either. We'll see about it that. It would be a set commentary if the NCAA allows DGB to play yeah, this I, year. When you have a guy, yeah. they're, they're trying to base off the, the runoff rule. DGB didn't get run off at Missouri. He's one of the best receivers. If 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 he wasn't acting up off the field as much as he was, there's no way they kick him off the yeah, team. Yeah, he wasn't one of the best receivers. He was the best receiver and close to in I mean, DGB is a stud. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess we'll move on to our surprise team nationally. Ryan, you kind of uh, uh, spoiled yours. Mine, mine uh, is going to be Marshall. Uh, they, they have Conference US, USA's best player the last two years coming back in quarterback Rakeem Cato. This this team won 10 games last year, so it's not like a team that's going to come completely out of left field. They will be favored in every football game they play this year. Their schedule is not very tough, so they're certainly not getting an invite to the college football playoff, even if they're undefeated. But I think that's a team that's going to be in the top 25, maybe even the top 20 by the end of the year. My other one from a power conference program is Florida. This Football team went four and eight last year. Tons of injuries across the board. A lot of guys that weren't experienced are now a little bit more experienced. They brought in Duke's offensive coordinator, who uh, obviously uh, studied under Cutcliffe there and did a really good job as their OC. They brought in a new receivers coach. They're going to spread it out. They have the talent. They have the speed. If they can prove to have the system, I think Muschamp will bounce back. If he doesn't, he's gone after this year. I don't. If you have a hot list for coaches, I think he's a uh, hot seat list. I think he's. Near the top of that. So you don't think their offensive line is going to block each other this year? <laughs> that was pretty embarrassing. Yeah, one of the greatest. I, I think that's the hardest I've ever seen you laugh. And I saw you the second time you watched it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
That was it. Happened again though a week later. Did yeah. you know that? Yeah. It, but also, that's you, what you when you bring up Marshall, that kind of brings up a point to me that I'm gonna miss about the BCS. I'm gonna miss the BCS buster and cheering for some team out of nowhere to go undefeated and maybe get into one of those BCS games and and try and uh, uh, surprise somebody. But those days are gonna be a thing yes. in the past now that with the autonomy of the Power Five when they get yeah. these new rules implemented. Yep. There's just there's no way a Boise State and some of those schools like they used to be able to compete are gonna be able to anymore. Yeah, and I'm I'm not gonna miss that because as much as I watch love watching Northern Illinois get just absolutely ballooned. It's like, what about UCF? UCF, I mean, they play good teams occasionally, so that's fine, but no. I'm Boise, not. Boise over Oklahoma, that wasn't awesome for you? Yeah, that's the one, though. That's the one in all the years that it's happened. Utah over Alabama when they weren't in the power conference? But right. Utah's a good example. They go into a power conference, and all of a sudden they're not very good. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe that tells you that some of those. But they also haven't had an Alex Smith since. Yeah, no, I mean, I just to me, they get in a one-game format, and it's like, oh, they can beat everybody in that conference now. It's like, no, no, no one thinks. I don't no, think lots anyone, of people think that. I mean, Boise State was a different. I think Boise State could have competed in in most power conferences, maybe not the SEC for that for that four or five year stretch. Um, they would have at least been in the top three or four in in a lot of conferences, but yeah, other than that, they would have gone eight. But I like seeing the. I like seeing the they can get up for one game and, and beat this big powerhouse. I, I don't know. I'm going to miss it a little bit. Tyler, do you have a surprise team, Ashley? Yeah, so this isn't even based on the fact that I think they're all that good. It's just that they have the most ridiculously easy schedule I've ever seen in my life. And it's Iowa, who's not ranked to start the season. Um, they have two tough games on the schedule. Like you would qualify as tough Nebraska and Wisconsin in their division. And both of those games are at home. So to me, they have a... Very real chance of at least nine wins, maybe even ten, which would put them ranked at the end of the year. So to me, the fact that they aren't ranked preseason gives them the one up there. Um, overrated for me, I picked Missouri uh, because they were obviously awesome last year. They're uh, ranked in the polls kind of towards the end there. And to me, this is like we talked a little bit about this earlier. To me, the four through six teams in the SEC are always overrated. You know, you, it's a really good conference, but then they're all just ranked, so they beat each other up, and they go 8-4, and four, and still somehow they're ranked 17th in the country. So to me, you know, a, t- a team like Missouri, who's losing a lot of their weapons, especially on defense, they, I don't know, I'd be surprised if they finish the season ranked. My overrated team is Oregon, um, and I guess I'm staying very Pac-12-y with all my picks here. But uh, I think um, that, you know, John Emmer used to say uh, college football is very cyclical, and I think uh, Oregon, their cycle is about to come to an end for a little bit. Um, obviously, with those facilities up there, they're never going to you know, crash and burn like a team such as Colorado. But um, I think that they're about to go down to, you know, they're going to be an eight-win team for a couple years here. Um, I think they're going to come out of the sky this season. And I think where they are right now, ranked at number three, is just too high. So I think they're overrated. Yeah, if that happens, Mark Helfrich is out of a job in a couple of years. They're yeah. obviously not going to put up with yeah, that. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I do kind of see that same cyclical cycle with them, though. I mean, they had I feel like they had that three- to four-year window, and they missed it. Mm-hmm. That's I, mean, I could see them being 10 to 15 in the next four or five years ranked, but I don't see them contending for a national title. Anymore. I think as long as Marcus Mariota's there, they're not going to hit 
that downturn quite yet. Yeah, but he's gone one year. this year. So. <laughs> Most likely, yeah. Um, as far as overrated team nationally, I was going to say Ohio State because they're ranked number five in the AP poll, and then obviously Braxton Miller, their star quarterback, goes down. I, you guys were kind of giving me flack for that, so I guess that <laughs> doesn't really qualify them. Um, I'm going to go with Auburn. Uh, kind of, uh, Tyler, you, you talked about Mizzou. This is the other team that was in the SEC championship game a year ago, beat Missouri in that. You look at all the things that broke right for Auburn, yeah. and usually at some point it kind of goes oh, the other direction. Sure, yeah. And so while I think they're actually going to be pretty good, I think they're going to be a top 15 team. There's some people that are saying they're going to challenge for the SEC again, and I just don't see that happening. No. As far as uh, the Heisman Trophy, uh, obviously Jameis Winston is back. Uh, I'm not going to pick him, though. My, my Heisman Trophy uh, pick is going to be Melvin Gordon, the running back from Wisconsin, rushed for over 1,600 yards last year, averaged nearly eight yards per carry, and Wisconsin returns four out of their five starting offense alignment. So... This is a guy that's going to get the ball a lot. He's going to have a good group blocking from up front. He already proved that he's one of the nation's elite running backs. And so I think uh, the Badgers are going to be riding on Melvin Gordon's back. And the only question I have there is do they have enough team success? Because a lot of times the Heisman Trophy goes with one of the teams that's really in the hunt. I think Wisconsin's in the top 25, but not really in the top 10. So that might be the one thing that keeps him from getting that. But I think he's going to be the best player in college football this year. Uh, here I go in the Pac-12 again. Uh, I know Tyler has this similar pick because he threw his hands up when I said I was going to say this guy's name again. Um, I think Brett Hundley is your uh, Heisman Trophy this year. Um, and I just think that he is the the perfect type of quarterback now. He's in his third year. Um, he has all the physical tools. He has all the talent around him. He has the team that's going to be highly ranked like you just mentioned. And I think he just absolutely lights up the Pac-12 this year and uh, takes the Heisman Trophy. Thunder stolen. I thought you were a Marcus Mariota guy. No, I mean, I like Marcus Mariota, but I don't think they're going to be that good. I think, to me, what I think you about the Heisman... You have him in the championship game. Was who? Oregon. No. The Pac-12 championship. Oh, yeah, fine. So they're going to be like 9 or 10. But the people expect him to be that good. To me, the Heisman, like, if you can... A team that you don't see being as good as they are ends up going on a huge run. Like, I have UCLA winning the Pac-12 championship in because this scenario. Because a player. Yeah, and they're... And, People thought they were good the last couple of years. They're going to take that next level this year. And as a quarterback, to me, he's the one guy that stands out. First of all, from an odds perspective, he's got to be the favorite for me to put money on right now. And, I mean, I think he's going to win. And I, I was I thought for sure that I'd be the only person to say him, so I'm a little pissed off right now. <laughs> but, yeah, Brett, Brett Hundley, to me, has – Jameis Winston it has the highest odds, and people don't win back-to-back. I know so it blows my mind a little bit. I know I said that there might not be that big blowout game where Colorado just gets smashed this year, but yeah. I think uh, October 25th when uh, the Bruins come into town, it could be uh, a, a little bit scary for the Buffs, especially since that's when the, the Heisman hype starts building up. It is you know late October, and I think Brett Hundley's name is going to be on there, and I think he's going to want to go out there and just throw for 500 yards and rush for... 200. To me, he's the one guy that I, people haven't talked about him very much for the Heisman race. You see, the, you know, come the graphics come up on ESPN and whatnot, and he's maybe like a other or something like that. But he's not on the main list right now, and I'm shocked by that. I think he's going to have a huge year. One of the best plays UCLA's had in recent years is when things break down and Brett Hundley takes off. He's really, really good yeah. in that role. They don't design as many runs for him as they, an Oregon does for Marcus mm-hmm. Mariota, but he's a guy that definitely makes a lot of plays with his legs. I don't strongly disagree there. Um, I wouldn't be. You said guys don't win back to back, but I mean, Jameis Winston. If, if Florida State's back in the title game, I, I'm not saying that's 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 a possibility as well. 
Moving on back to CU, we're going to do uh, some team predictions here. And uh, appreciate everybody that's that's hung in there with this. We've gone way longer than the hour that we were scheduled to go. Just we've been uh, getting into this discussion, uh, have run longer. Let's get back into CU. What's their best chance for a signature win in 2014 when you look at their schedule? Ryan talked about it earlier. It's Arizona State at home week three. Um, I think they're overrated. That's the first big game for us at home. It's the first game at home, Folsom. It's going to be a night game. Everybody always loves night games. We get people out for those. Um, to so me, second game at home, right? Uh, no, it's the no, first game first at home. Right. Yeah, CSU's CSU investment were on the road. Then we're that yeah. Hawaii flip through. Yeah, so that's why we have time to finish the seats and all that stuff. But yeah, it's the first game at Folsom. You know, even even when we're not that good, the students seem to always show up to the first game. So to me, not to mention they also show up to blackout games. Right, exactly. Yeah, so it's going to be. I think that'll be the best atmosphere of the season. Um, and. Arizona State, they gave it to us pretty good this year, so I feel like the team, I mean, they gave it, a lot of people did, but that game was ugly, and I think CU will take it to them, and that's the best chance to win the game. Yeah, with uh, ASU being my most overrated team in the Pac-12, this was an easy pick for me. The only thing that made me pause is the fact that Arizona State really has owned Colorado, yeah. and they've gone head-to-head in the last four years. ASU, with all those defensive new starters, this is still early in the season when those pieces are still meshing on that side of the ball. Nine starters on defense. Early in the season, and uh, Colorado, very good chance to be 2-0 and at that point. So they, have, they should have some confidence. Ryan, what's your, your uh, best chance for a signature win? That was my pick, too, but the more that I think about it now and, and the fact that you both chose it makes me want to change mine. I also don't know. I mean, let's say Arizona is 19th or 20th going into that. Is that a signature win? No. That's what, Arizona? Arizona State. Arizona State. Arizona, yeah. Yeah, they're saying that that counts as a signature win. Any any win over a ranked team where this program is right now is a signature win. Okay, well that's my first pick. My second pick is going to be Washington. Um, I think that's that could be um, around the time when this team really starts to mesh. And I'm I'm just trying to to change this up a little bit here, but you know that's November first in Folsom Field. Um, I think that. You know, that's, that could be one of those games where they do sneak up on someone on defense, um, get some pressure on Siler Miles, knock him around a little bit, and make create some turnovers on a young quarterback. Yeah, to, piggy, to piggyback on your comment right there, it's not only a signature game because it's a win against a ranked team, which we haven't done lately. If we do go 2-0 into that game, you win. We have Hawaii coming back. Also We're going to be 4-0 and then going go to that Cal. play. Yeah, that's – I mean, that could be a season changer if you get that and somehow start season 4-0. All right. Sometimes all it takes is a little confidence that you can win and snowballs from there. Just, so. just to clarify real quick, obviously this is our best chance for a signature win in 2014. We all kind of agreed on ASU. Do any of you actually think that's going to happen? I don't. I, I think Arizona. I'm not going to predict predict it right now, but yeah. if we're doing our game prediction videos on <laughs> Thursday afternoon, and uh, I've felt the hype around campus, my my mind might change. Yeah, I'm not ready to say that right now either. But it, assuming we're two and zero, and we'll see how we look in those two games. I mean, I think it definitely could happen. I think, without a doubt, it's a much higher percentage than a lot of the other games we have in Pac-12 play. For me. Yeah, you're know. not you're not winning at Oregon. Right. You're not beating UCLA at home. So no, I'll you're not going to beat USC. We're not going to be favored. I'll put it to you that way. Yeah. Um, but I I it, there's a chance for sure. I'll say this right now: if CU wins their first two games and they beat UMass handily, I will predict them to win against. Yeah, Arizona I could see State. that happening too for me as well. Well, some of that has to be based off too what Arizona State does mm-hmm. early in the season. Yeah, definitely. Sure, but I'm. <laughs> 
They're who do they play? They probably play two cupcakes and they're going to win by sixty points. I mean, when was the last time you saw me predict us to beat somebody good in football? And I, I'm giving it a chance this they time. They start so the season against Weber State. Okay, there's a <laughs> seventy-five to fifteen win, maybe. Don't they and play then, UNLV? Too. And then they play New Mexico. And so they're going. So I don't care what they do. If CU wins both of their games, I, I'm going to predict okay. they're going to win that game. Kind of staying along that theme, but a little bit different question here. What's what's the most important game on the schedule? A game that they need to win for for them to kind of reach the, their goals this season. I'm I'm, I'm going to start it out here. I'm going to go Oregon State in Boulder, October fourth. At that point, see you could have three or four wins. If you're going to have any chance of going to a bowl game, you got to get those wins early. Oregon State losing Brandon Cooks, even though they get Sean Mannion back, I don't think that's one of the better teams in the conference and you get them on your home turf still fairly early in the season. I'm going to uh, go with the first game of the season, Colorado State. If you lose that game, uh, you're in trouble. You're not you're not getting to any of your goals, I don't think. And then you risk the chance of, you know, the, the kids hanging their heads, putting their tail between their legs, and possibly losing to UMass in Will's nightmare scenario. You can't do that no matter what type of thing. So, uh, they have they have to go out there and beat CSU uh, and get that season rolling on the right tracks. Yeah, I agree 100%. I think if we want to improve on last year's performance, this is the game we have to get first. Yeah. Nothing else happens if you don't get this game first. Yeah. I mean, we talk about going 3-0 if we beat Arizona State. That doesn't happen if we don't beat CSU. There's, to, there's me, always... to me, it's a tone setter for this season. Either 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 you have a chance to improve and you, and you start off on the right foot and you you know put your foot down on CSU, the team that we always like to call little brother or whatnot, you don't get to improve on a season if you can't beat them. There's always so, the, this question that just annoys the heck out of me. Which team has more pressure to win yeah. the, the Rocky Mountain showdown? always and I, and I said always. this on our board. I said the, the answer to this question has always been yeah. and will always be yeah. Colorado. There's never going to be a time where CSU has more pressure. Yep. To win they, they can still get to a bowl game and do the things they want to do in Mountain West that nobody cares about you know, without beating us. We don't get where we want to go this season without being Colorado State. That is a fact. And the reason that I think this game always turns out to be close is because they might need it less, but it just, to me, it feels like they always want it more. And I don't know why that is, but I just feel like they come out with this fire. Their fans are their, their fans are chippy, and they, of course they, they hate CU, you know? CU yeah. fans look down on CSU, but I don't think they have this pent-up hate against the Colorado always, State. always wants it. Right. I mean, think think about it from the perspective of Arizona. When but we, but when we play no, Arizona in basketball. We want it. More but there's no it. reason that Colorado State should want this game more than CU after what we just talked about. Yeah. Well, I mean, I agree, but they're the underdog, so they they have that fire. Yeah. We're supposed to win, so it's hard to. Well, McIntyre tries to set the tone as far as every time he talks about CSU, he talks about 365 a game year. You, you know, it's just it's one of those things that, that's important to him, obviously. Something I learned on Media Day, which I didn't know was a real thing. You hear about bulletin board material. It's always a, a, a thing, but I always thought that was a figure of speech. There really is bulletin boards in the Dow Ward with bulletin board material on them. I'm not going to go any further than that because that's, you know, that's – their thing, but I will say there's actual real bulletin board material in the Dow Ward Center. Without John Henderson on the beat, how are they getting it? <laughs> I think it's coming from Fort Collins. Okay. All right, well, we're down to our last topic here. Uh, 
the most important thing, I hope people have hung in long enough on the show to, to get to the, the good stuff here at the end. We heard Will earlier, because he had to leave midway through the show, talk about his win prediction, which was three. Definitely on, on the low end there. Um, I'll let you guys go first. How many games do the Buffaloes win in 2014, and who do those wins come against? Um, for me, the answer is four, and people may say that's not an improvement, uh, and I disagree, and here's why. I think the general consensus would be that last year, if we don't have the flood and Fresno State comes into Folsom, they probably win that game. So that puts us at three and nine. Um, and we played two one double A schools last year, and that doesn't happen this year. Obviously, UMass isn't a great. Those one double A schools last year might be better than the FBS teams in Hawaii and UMass that they play this year. I mean, it's possible, but it's it's even from a per- perception standpoint. I mean, you look at that if you're a national writer, let's say. And you say, okay, they won four and eight last year, but here's who they beat. You know, from a, from a perception standpoint, I think to me that that's an improvement. I re- it's hard to, it's one of those things that the win total is the same, but to me they're going to be far more competitive. You know, losing a game by 40 points, there's a lot of room to improve before you actually win that game. <laughs> and I think some, we'll see if people forget that or not. But to me, this team will be competitive in a lot of second halves. And that hasn't been the case in a while. And I think that's the big frustration with the program, not necessarily that they aren't winning games. But when the game is over six minutes in, that's no fun. Never is, never will be. And, and you know, like, you know, we're probably not going to beat UCLA. But, you know, if we could stay with them or like a Washington into the second half, make the game competitive, that's fun. When you're in a game and you enjoy it and you see the team getting better and more, you know, Good example is the UCLA game last year from fans, kind of even actually even Oregon for for a yeah, while. Yeah, I mean you're winning for a small period of time against Oregon. Yeah, I mean that's that's fun. I mean that's something that you can hold on to from a program standpoint. Mm-hmm. I, I think you'll see the win margin or loss margin, I guess in this case, go down considerably this year. But I think four and eight to me is where I'm most. Who who are those wins coming against? CSU, Hawaii, UMass, and then I think they'll get someone in the Pac-12 somewhere. I just think pick, I, just pick a game. I would say I, I agree with his earlier Washington, Washington or Arizona State would be good. Maybe Utah. So you're well, not which one? You're not <laughs> one those what about Cal? Utah, Arizona, Utah. None of them. Okay, Utah. I don't. I'm not predicting them to beat anybody on the road. Okay. Um, I decided to go with five wins here. Um, like we just talked, I'm, I'm leaning more and more towards giving them that Arizona State game, but I just can't do it yet. So uh, we're at five. Um, I'm going to give them Colorado State, UMass, Hawaii, California. That's that's four early wins. Um, then they go on a tough stretch of, of playing four ranked teams in six weeks. I think that's going to be um, a kind of a tough stretch for Buffs fans to watch. Um, and then I think they uh, have a triumphant final uh, win against Utah that gives them their five wins and gets everyone's spirits up going into the offseason. Okay. So, Ryan, you you have them going uh, 3-0 non-conference and 2-7 and in conference play. Tyler, you have them going 3-0 and in non-conference and 1-8 and in conference. Will had them going 2-1 and in non-conference with a loss to – um, to CSU, and then he had them going one and eight in conference play. I'm going to agree with you, Ryan. I'm going to say Colorado wins five games this year, falls just short of that bowl berth. I'm going to have them going three and zero in non-conference play with wins over CSU, UMass, Hawaii, and then in conference play, I have them winning two games, and those two wins are going to come against Oregon State and against Utah. 
So none of us have them going to a bowl game this year. Um, I think three of the four of us had a pretty positive outlook on things, even though, Tyler, you have them with four. You talked a lot about them being more competitive. Wilson to be kind of the most down on this team's chances going into the season. Um, what do you think the fans' bottom line expectation is to just not be upset going into the offseason? I think my prediction, 4 and 8. And we talked a little, I don't remember if we talked about this on the show or off off the air here. If we go 3 and 9, that means one of four things happen. We lose to CSU, we lose to UMass, we lose to Hawaii, or we go 0 and 9 in conference play. One of those things has to happen for us to go 3 and 9. And all of that and, and spells disappointment. Right, exactly. I, I don't see any of those things being acceptable. To call this season a success, even if they are more competitive in those nine losses, let's say, to me, not even John Embry went right over in conference. Yeah, to me, to me, though, those things have to happen to really say, yeah, that we improved this season. In my eyes, those are like the the baseline, I guess you could say, the baseline for a reason and where this team should be. I think within this, the CU fan base more of a premium is going to be placed on how competitive they are nationally. Honestly, a lot of those analysts, they're not going to spend time watching Colorado, so they're only going to look at the bottom line. And if they win four games, a lot of them are going to say Colorado. They're not going to pick Colorado as a team that's really moving on the way up because they're not going to look close enough to really analyze it, I wouldn't think. Maybe some of the, some of the Pac-12 analysts would. Yeah, I, mean, I think in the world of Twitter where like these guys are – you know, like this all the time. They're always talking about somebody. Those type of nuances get thrown out there more than they have in years past for me, social media-wise. Well, the season's almost here. Next week, it's going to be upon us. Uh, this will probably be our last podcast before the season starts, but obviously we'll try to come back. Uh, we've been uh, kind of inconsistent with these podcasts, but we're going to try to get a little bit more consistent as we get into the season and get into analyzing each game and the next opponent uh, and hopefully make this a weekly thing. Thanks for listening. I think we went more than an hour and a half today, so uh, but we had a lot to get in. Uh, we hadn't done a show in a while, and there were a lot of predictions. Definitely continue to follow us on iTunes, and we'll be back with more shows. Thanks for listening.